Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Some things have changed since I've been here last time. Over the years, the ladies have got on to me at nighttime because I want to sit around and talk. I am a preacher. I like to sit around and talk. I talk for a living. But they want me gone because of a little problem I have. I'm colorblind. And if it gets dark on me on the way home, I can't see stop signs, stop lights, you know, trivial stuff like that. And I have now come into possession of some colorblind glasses. They're out in the truck, well guarded. I didn't realize my wife's eyes were that deep. My kids told me about it. But I didn't know until I put them on. It was beautiful. I understand what my dad means now when he saw the stars and stripes. Beautiful. Flowers. I can't wear them at church. Easter Sunday morning is the first time I put them on. Little Sarah, four years old, walks in with a brand new pretty dress. and Well, we, we meet outside. We have a pavilion with no walls right in the middle of the woods, and we didn't cut a tree down, don't need to be cut down, and we're just in the woods. And little Sarah come down, and I told my wife, I said, look at that dress. And I'm trying to describe to her the colors I'm now seeing. And after I did that, my wife said, give me your glasses. And I gave them to her, and she put them in her purse. said, what are you doing? She said, you understand there's going to be a lot of pretty dresses here today. You're going to look like a pervert. <laughs> So I can't wear them at church. I'm sure your ladies' dresses are pretty. I'm sure the men would be a disappointment with those glasses on. I'm sure they would be. What do you do during a time of temptation? I'm not talking tempted to go to Krispy Kreme because the hot now sign's on. I'm not talking that type. I'm not even talking about the type of temptation do I click on that website. It just takes about a minute and a half for that computer to figure out if you're a male or female. And it'll start giving you ads wanting to pull you. I'm not even talking about that. Or laying hands on somebody at work and smacking them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> we ought to be able to do that. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about something darker, something deeper. The time of temptation. The Bible speaks about it in the New Testament. We get pictures of it in the Old Testament. I've been through that in the last year. March 4 last. My dad's wife, Martha, who's been there since I've been alive. Her daughters used to care for my twin brother and I. And she went, she went on to heaven. She called me one week to live. Jason, I need to not see you. I need to see the preacher. Would you come? And so I got in my car and drove to Cleveland, Ohio. And she was waiting on me. And I get in the room and in front of my atheist father, in front of others that were there, I presented the gospel to Martha, and she gave her heart to Christ and would live for another week. And I'd have to go back up and do that woman's funeral that I loved. Three weeks later, I get another call. Mike Walls, who I now pastor his church, my best friend, Sunday morning is sitting in his chair going over his sermon about the resurrection of Christ and dies of a massive heart attack. 
They call me five minutes before church starts. I'm sure the sermon was great that day. Four days later, I'd be burying Mike. One week later, I get another call. My childhood friend, Sherry, that grew up next to us, had died and wanted me to do her funeral back to Cleveland, Ohio to bury a childhood friend we talked all the time. It was the first of November last year, and Mom was getting sicker. And I was doing care for her, (laughs) all of it. She got to where she moved off the recliner, other things would move and some things you ought never have to do to your mom, but you do because she's mom. It embarrassed her, it embarrassed me, and I told her, I said, Mom, you did this for me for about six years maybe, and, and so you got six years and then I quit. <laughs> and she went, fair enough. And after I was done, I'd go outside and give up whatever I ate that day. and We did that. I went to move her on the 22nd of November, and when I went to pick her up to help her, I broke her back. I didn't know, and she wasn't telling me that the cancer was back, and it was going up her spine. All I remember is I'm holding mom, and she is screaming for her life. I know it's not my fault. Please convince me of that. It would be great. She died the day before Thanksgiving, And in that stupid little note that said, open up after I die, she said, I want my pastor to bury me. It's the only time I ever froze preaching. I knew that the time to put her in the ground was about there, and I I don't remember stopping. I just remember the undertaker tapped me on the shoulder. I looked around. I'd been standing there for a solid 40 seconds. I didn't want to say it. I go to bed that night and my wife wakes me up just beating on me. I wake up, what's wrong with you, woman? (laughs) She said, looks like you're having a stroke. No, I'm not having a stroke. She said, what were you dreaming? I said, it's dumb. It's not true. She said, what were you dreaming? The devil told me if I'd lay my Bible down in front of my church, he'd quit killing people I love. And it made a whole lot of sense to me. So I get up the next Sunday and preach like I always do, nobody knowing but my wife, that the devil's telling me if you quit, I'll leave you alone. Why is it the devil makes so much sense in times like that? Doesn't he make sense when he says you need to punch that person in the nose? You're like, yes, that could be God. (laughs) It's a time of temptation. What do you do when that happens? Psalm 141, verse number 1. A psalm of David. Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Verse 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. I understand here David is talking about a certain amount of trouble and he says, Lord, I'm not just going to talk to you. I've got to holler this one out. I'm going to cry it to you. 
I don't know if you've ever been there before. We got a prayer trail at the church and at 23 acres and I go walk it and it's not uncommon for me to hear people back there crying out their prayers. He also said, Lord, I'm going to pray to you, but I need you to hurry up because I'm not making it. I'm failing right now and I need you to hear me when I talk to you. And then David says, there's a way I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it as a setting forth of incense. The lifting of my hands like I do when I go to church during the evening sacrifice. Incense in the Bible is always pictured as a type of prayer. You'll see in Luke chapter 1 verse number 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. At the time of incense. You'll see it again in Revelation chapter number 8, verse number 3, the Bible says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, altar which was before the throne. Verse number 4, And the smoke of the incense. That we're still talking about prayer. The smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of all the saints ascended up before God out of the hands of the angel. When the Bible talks about incense, we understand in the Old Testament that was dealing with the tabernacle. Now it's dealing with us as individual priests. If you are saved, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, you are a royal priesthood. You can do your own praying. God dealt with the incense in the Old Testament. I'm going to just pop through some of this to try to be helpful to figure out what to do when things get dark at your house, in your mind, when nobody knows what you're fighting through. When it comes to incense, though, incense proper, in the Old Testament, God had some restrictions. You just couldn't make it any way you wanted to. I deal with a lot of folks in our, our area that have nowhere that they fit. Uh, they're tattooed up. They've made some decisions that uh, they'd love to get some of them took off. Most of them have pa- uh, paths that they don't want to talk about. And we, we've collected enough of those folks that one of the churches downtown referred to us as the Church of the Misfits. <clears throat> Santa Claus went to the place of misfit toy. Maybe God show up with us. Maybe he'll show up with us. More than once I've had people look, so I don't think God wants to hear me sing. I said, just try. It tells us he inhabits the praise of his people. And if you become one of his people, I think he wants to hear you sing. And so I watch these folks have to do it through bouncing lip because they're crying through trying to sing Amazing Grace for the first time in their life. And it is amazing. It is amazing. But he had restrictions. They couldn't do it the way they wanted to. More than once I've had people come up to me. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's a lie from hell. You're going to do it the way everybody else did it. That's by bowed knee and confessing mouth before Jesus. The ground's level. It doesn't matter if you're poor, you're rich, where you came from in the world. The ground is level at the cross. And everybody does it the same way. Well, God, God, God's kind of got me figured out. I know, that's why you're a mission field. You must be born again. You don't have your own thing going. You don't get to pray any way you want to. You don't get to refer to him as the big dog upstairs. 
You'll never pray again at my church out loud if, you're, if you have enough that. You don't get to look at it and say, sup. You don't get to do that. You're going to come to him as Lord. You're going to come to him as the king and understand in whom you're approaching. So uh, you don't get to just do it any way you want to do it. You've got to do it the way God lays it out. In Exodus 30, 34, he gives ingredients for how that incense was supposed to be made. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stactyl, anka, gobodum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. And each of these were to be of like weight, the same weight. There was one family that was given the charge of keeping the incense that would be used at the tabernacle. It's interesting, there's 11 ingredients, but the Bible only reveals four of them. And I know why that was, because you weren't allowed to do it your own way. You had to do it God's way. If you're going to go to the tabernacle, you're going to worship, that family will hold that secret, much as Colonel Sanders has on the way they take care of their secret ingredients. There's 11 ingredients, only four revealed in Scripture. The one from that, uh, if you lived in that family and you wanted to stay in that family, but you also made it to the place you wanted to get married, you had to marry a certain person who was willing to live with those restrictions, or you couldn't get married at all. See, the Bible wasn't joking when it said, don't be unequally yoked together. It understands the pain that's coming. It understands the pain. Because you have faith, they don't have faith, and it's going to come to a place where it gets combative. And they want to make fun of the faith that you have, not understanding how you may be holding them up in prayer. How could two walk together unless they agree? Uh, the Bible says you've got to make sure that things agree before you decide to tie the knot. I just meet way too many that decided because he was cute that he was marrying material. You know when the lights go out, Level ground. Level ground. So they, they couldn't do it any way they wanted to do it. And if you want to get married, you still had to fall underneath the restrictions. And one of the restrictions was you can no longer wear the incense of your family. You can only wear the incense of prayer. And that was it. That was what that person had to agree with. Uh, the incense was a, a thing they did in taking care of shepherds. Shepherds, would, would, they had a pouch with their ingredients. They'd beat it on their bodies. That family smelt the same. Their sheep could follow them by smell. Well, if you're going to marry into that family, you're going to have the smell of prayer about you. That's why you have to marry right. You can marry wrong. You can no longer be a prince anymore if you marry wrong, if you watch any type of news. There are restrictions. But second of all, that could only be offered as... In the Old Testament, by a priest, we are our own priesthood now. Uh, but the only saved, or saved people are the ones that are allowed to offer up incense. Uh, why, Pastor Hurt, why would you be so closed-minded about that? Because John said, God will not hear sinners. He will talk to those that are a part of the family. Everything else beyond that is coincidence. And I hear, you know, you can't argue somebody's story. Well, I prayed one time that it would rain that day, and it rained that day. Well, it probably rained, rained two and a half miles from you, too. Yeah, I'm sure you don't just have a little dysphemic cloud going over your head as you walk and go, yeah, I prayed for this. Here it is. You know, uh, not at all. Uh, so only a priest could offer that. Thus, if you are saved, you are a royal priesthood unto the Most High God after the order of Melchizedek, according to Hebrews. So you could offer up your own praying. But, but thirdly, no strange fire could be used. 
No strange fire could be used. Adrian Rogers talking about prayer said the only prayer that heaven's going to hear are prayers that were born in heaven anyhow. It is prayers that is given toward the will of God, by the will of God, to perpetuate what God wants to do in your life, through your destiny, through whatever it is he has for you to do. Those are the type of prayers that are going to be offered and heard by God. Uh, there was a routine to keeping incense. My routine starts on Saturday night. I'm very careful about what I watch on TV, about how combative I'm willing to be with the wife, because tomorrow I got, to, I got to get before the king. And we're going to do it formally together. So I leave her alone, she leaves me alone. Something magical about supper time. If, we are, if we're in the middle of a disagreement, who disappears, we'll come back on Monday. It'll come. But we just let it go. We're going to leave each other alone because I understand she's got an audience of one to sing to the next day. I have an audience of one to preach to the next day. We have to make sure we're right as a family. And we'll pick up whatever we need to pick up on Monday. But there's a routine that were there. There are 20,000 priests that had to take care of almost 5 million people. Well, 20,000 priests, do the math. That's a big old congregation. They had to take care of that. But, but only one of them could get the incense job per day. And once in a lifetime, it was done by lottery. You're gonna, whoever picks the straw, whoever name comes out the hat. It's not revealed to us how they get that, but out of 20,000, one of them is going to get picked to be the incense bearer that day. Now, now, we need to catch this. Sacrifices were not allowed to be offered until the gate was opened first. Until God opens up the gate of heaven and invites you in, you're not going to be a Christian. There's a time where he calls you and he draws you, waiting to be able to redeem you, but that gate's got to be open. I just don't get to do it anytime I want to. Well, Pastor Her, I'm just going to wait until I see the car that's about to run me over. That's probably not the words that come to your brain. Not mine. Not yours. You just don't get to pick how you die. If we could pick how we died, I don't even know if I'd be a Christian right now. Because if the Lord said, you got five minutes, man, I'd be a praying machine. I'd be like an auctioneer. I'd be praying it out so fast. The Lord would be like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, I'm on your side right now. Oh, we don't get that. We get those things called aneurysms. And we get those things called Alzheimer's. And we get those things called heart attacks. And we get cerebral hemorrhages. And we get things that just end us. We don't get to pick when that happens. So the sacrifices, your prayer to God is going to be heard and can be offered when the Spirit of God draws you. And when He draws you, then you can be. So the gates had to be open. You had to get saved first before you get ready to give your sacrifice. Uh, six lambs were picked on that day. Three of them, uh, all six would have to go through a major inspection. They would look through all of them to see if any of them had spot or blemish on them at all. They, they would be gone over by ten priests at a time, three different intervals, just looking at that sheep to make sure it was going to be right for sacrifice. And can I tell you, though we may not have many people looking at us, the Bible said let us examine ourselves to see if we be in the way. Uh, to see if we'd be right with God. Self-examination is going to have to happen. But they're inspected that morning of the sacrifice. It would do well if you could get a hold of God before you show up to church. If you could do that before you show up to church, you wouldn't have to worry about cleaning yourself up during the music. And you could also understand if God shows up, you're ready. You're ready. 
uh, but sometimes we miss it because we wait to get ready at church. And I like them folks that are ready when they come. They're just easier. They're easier. The chosen priest would be dressed in white. He would be washed four times by seven men. Four times. He had to be clean. He would be inspected by 50 while the washing was going on. Then they'd drop the robes on him. They would give the ephod to him. And they'd put a golden shovel in his hand. That was pretty interesting. He would take that golden shovel and he'd begin to shift, sift through the ashes of the day before to find those hot coals. That was his job. Uh, if you remember in your Old Testament reading, there was a fire that was given, but that fire was started by God. That was a perpetual fire. There were three fires that were, they were commanded to have in the tabernacle. They were commanded to have a major fire, a lesser fire, and a perpetual fire. That fire never did go out. Fire was always present during sacrifice time. If prayers were going up, fire was always part of that. And can I tell you, if it's going to be something you're going to give up to God, and if you're right with God when you show up, there's going to be something different about the way you worship, something different about the way you pray. It's the fire of God that comes and begins to land on folks, begins to do things a little bit different. And, and so that's, that's what had to happen. There had fire that was present and if I'm ready I could do that yesterday having the church together both churches together and the rehab I speak at their families came in it was my job to do the preaching and I remember a fellow stood up and all he did he was looking at me like this standing up on the other side past the AMZ, AMZ, AM, AME Zion Church in Sanford and he's just sitting there doing this while I'm preaching I wasn't sure what that meant and then he started come on boy Come on, boy. I was coming. I was doing all I could. Come on. Come on. I'm going to throw my hat at you. Come on. And I thought, well, I'm about to have a hat thrown at me. I'll tell you what happened, though. He, he had spent time walking that prayer trail for that meeting never started because his son was going to be there. His son, who had been addicted to drugs and is trying to get his way out, he came praying. He came ready. And when it come preaching time, that guy, the fire of God was on him. And although he had feed me, I scared the Lutheran pastor to death. <laughs> I think what kills us as a church is a lack of fire. We come in and we expect something exposed. I hope they get blessed or I really hope God shows up today. Man, I don't want my faith to be tied to anybody else. If there's going to be a fire, I want it to be in me. And if you catch some of it, that's great. I don't call it a great service when somebody jumps up and gets happy or somebody shouts amen. That doesn't bother me at all. I know I won't be that guy that does that. and It doesn't make a good or bad service if it happens. Uh, what's killing us is a lack of fire. And most people that don't have fire are afraid of it. They're afraid of it. And so then they look and say, you know, that's a great lesson, but never at my church. Well, I probably won't get to speak at your church anyhow. If the Lord starts the fire in your heart, it won't matter who's singing, won't matter who's preaching, won't matter who's teaching the lesson. The fire of God is there and he starts it. It's going to be a good day, going to be a good day. Well, preacher, hurt. not everybody going to act like you. Some people are going to think you lost your mind. And some have thought I've lost my mind. I didn't lose my mind. I lost my sin and it changed my mind. It changed my mind. This, this, this high priest with that white robe on and that ashes. It was his job to go to the golden altar of incense. He'd take away the cold ashes of yesterday. And he'd stir up the altar of God to make sure it was good and hot on time. 
they would put on his pinky a small bell so that they could know where he was at to make sure he made it through the tabernacle without dying. They just would listen for the ringing of that bell. This attention was given to everybody around when the bell of God began to ring. Everybody knew that God was close when that bell was ringing. For them, it was a guy dressed in white carrying the white shovel. I'm carrying the golden shovel, the pinky, the ding-ding of that bell that was put on us would let them know God is about to show up. God is about to show up. Uh, what, what do we do? The Bible says make a joyful noise. And I'm to make a joyful noise for the Lord even when I don't feel like it. Not every Sunday I go to church I feel like it. Not, not this Mother's Day. I lost both of them in a year. I didn't want to go. Had to go, I'm the pastor. But I didn't want to. Not every day do I feel like jumping up, kicking the devil in the teeth when I'm preaching. Some days I'm just holding on for my life. Hoping that nobody figures out how, how terrible things are going for me. I've got a great mask I could put on in front of folks. I could walk into church and people, yeah, it's like when I go to church folks' houses unannounced and I knock on the door and I can hear them at the road. They're just giving it to them. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, mom was ugly. Oh, yeah, and I know it's tearing each other up. I knock on the door and usually the wife has to answer when the preacher shows up. The husband will not. He'll go sit down as a recliner, try to get his breath back. But she answered, no, she'll go, hello, how are you doing? And I walk in the living room, I heard you at the road. You know, stop, put the mask away. I'm a professional mask wearer. I could come in here and you would never know how I'm doing. But I bet you're good at wearing masks. I don't even know to pray for you because you won't take the mask off and tell me I need your prayer. Then we hear months later how terrible the time you went through. We weren't even able to help you because you had that mask on. And you just wanted to be whatever you watched. I still watch John Wayne movies. Yeah. You watch John Wayne movies, you got four bullets in you. I'm all right. Thank you, ma'am. I'm good. For most of the time, can I just be honest right here, for the last year, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, 20,000 priests showed up that day. They're going to offer up those six sheep. But also every family had to bring something to sacrifice. The poor got to bring turtle doves. The not so poor could bring rams. The rich would bring bulls. How many? During the High Holy Week, three and a half million are coming. Three and a half million people. They're guessing a million and a half sacrifices are going to be done on a slab of stone twice the size of this church. You're going to kill a million and a half animals on a slab of stone twice the size of this church in a week? What are you going to do with the blood? I know what they did. They cut channels in that rock to get the blood moved away from the sacrifice area. They also do it in the middle of what their summer is. So it was hot. Flies. Death everywhere. Blood flowing. Each family, the representative, the father had to go in and hold the animal because nobody goes to sacrifice peacefully. No animal did. 
They could hear the bleeding of the other sheep. They could hear the hollering of the other bulls. The animals did not want to go. The father would have to carry that sacrifice in and he would have to hold it while the high priest cut its throat and split its belly down. That was the father's job. I still think what's hurting us as a church today, we made some bad decisions. Now we're raising kids. We have no father. Our father is the spiritual protector of the home. And if he's not making the sacrifices, the whole family's in trouble. It's, it's, you're desperate to pick right. You're desperate to pick right. And once you get right, stay right. Stay right. Well, how do I do that? I, I'd come to church. you got some alpha males here that will help you be able to stay right. It was the Father's job to do that. They had to fight for the sacrifice to happen. But not Jesus as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of all of us laid on Him. He didn't run for that. The Bible tells us this. For the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross. He despised us. He was a different lamb. He was a lamb to take away the sin of the world. And all the shame that I would have, you would have, He would take on to Himself. When a father was done with the sacrifice, the high priest had done what he was supposed to, they would take the skin and they would tattoo it on the inside with that family's name. All that was there was, so if somebody said, you weren't there at sacrifice day, they could go back to the high priest, go through all of the animal skins, and nope, he was there, his name's tattooed on this. I don't have too much time to be able to do that but there was some proof there there's something going to be tattooed on the one that is given continual sacrifice to God they're going to know that what the Bible would require from that uh, sacrifice is that and the legs in the entrails of that animal was to be left behind and the sacrifice to be given but the interesting part was and they said the best part was the fat of that animal let me stop right there and talk to you skinny folks for a minute you never see in the Bible where fat is in a bad connotation. But you do see where skinny and lean and all that, that's bad connotation. The Bible said the law of the Lord to be fatness to your bones. I just want to let you know, for those that think I might have gained a little weight since last time, <laughs> there you go. They cut grooves into this mountain where they were doing so many sacrifices to be able to channel the blood out. This is another great sermon to wait for another day. He would go off of the mountain into the Kindred Valley. Kindred Valley is full of truth uh, that we could stop and park on. It would then leave the Kindred Valley and go down to the Valley of Jezreel. Another powerful thought is that blood traveled down the Kindred Valley into the Valley of Jezreel. It would then get into the Sea of Galilee follow the eastern coast until it made its way to the Dead Sea. And that's where it stopped. Well, that would be a good sermon right there, but we'll keep going. Just gallon after gallon of blood was making its way off of that mountain. Calvary not only forgave me of my sin, but it took it away. Never to be brought up to me again. And there's some things back there I don't ever want to have to answer for. Blood flowing, hot day, flies, the screams of death, families watching their dads go beyond that wall carrying the sacrifice, hoping that sacrifice would be accepted. Here's the problem. It began to smell and stink enough that the priests 
would get sick. They called this the time of temptation because the priests want to tag out. But you had to take care of your families. If the priest walked away, your sacrifice wasn't counted that year. It would be the same way as if saying, my name's out of the Lamb Book of Life till next year. It's powerful. What do you do to help that high priest out? In desperation, the high priest would begin to cry out that they're sick and they need help. And in the middle of their crying out, they would hear a little bell begin to ring. For inside of that tabernacle, the man with the golden shovel would dip that shovel into the incense. And he began to walk to the very laver of God outside. And he would drop that incense on top of that laver that had that fire that was brewing for days. And it would explode in a giant type of perfume covering the whole area in that perfume. What, what it did not do was take the stench away. What it did do was make it to where they could do one more sacrifice. All they had to do was get the attention of the guy in white who had the golden shovel that had the answer for them and that was the incense of God in prayer he would hear their cry and he would respond they'd begin to chant for those closest to the door of the tabernacle yes the tabernacle at that time I hear the ringing of the bells and the next farther away would hear that one say I hear the ringing of the bell and, and this one would hear it and he'd begin to chant to this one until all the priests were chanting we hear the ringing of the bells. Now I want to remind you, incense is a picture of prayer. I'll just keep going. It made the tribulation bearable. It didn't take it away. The smell was so strong that when the fathers would leave, everybody knew by his smell he'd been with God that day. There's something about the child of God that gets in the presence of God. I've had people walk up to me on Sunday afternoons. I, I take my suit off before I go eat. And, and I'm great at dressing down on Sunday afternoons. I like gray t-shirts. I like blue jeans or khaki pants. There's nothing about this that says minister. But I go sit down and people walk up to me and say this. Aren't you a preacher? I need you to pray for me. I don't know where they know that. I don't know. Maybe the incense of heaven. I, I don't know. It's happened again and again. It's happened to you. You've been at work. You've been you're doing your praying. And it's almost like a drug deal goes down. Some foul-mouthed person who's in big trouble walks by your cubicle, walks by your workspace, whatever it is, and they stop and go, my mom's sick in the hospital. Did you pray for her? Thank you. I don't mean quicker than a drug deal. They're gone. Somewhere the incense of heaven is about you. They know you've been with God. They know that you're a praying person. And those prayers will affect those that are around you. Everybody knew that man had been to sacrifice that day. The cloud of incense that would go in the air would give relief to the weary priest so they could keep moving. The sacrifice time, the time of temptation, was always hard. Let me draw this in for you on a passage in the New Testament. It's going to be a different way to look at this passage. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying this is a different way to look at it. Because I have prayed before and God not take it away. 
Anybody else? I've prayed before and had people look at me. I prayed for a lady last year. And while I come out, her pastor's still outside. She called me to come in. I came in. I prayed. He come out and says, you really believe that stuff? What stuff? He said, you just prayed for God to heal her. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, you really believe that? And I said, I believe if you have it, God can heal it. He said, just like that. No, yeah, even if she dies, she's a Christian, she's healed. She wins either way. And he says, I don't know if I believe it. And I said, well, maybe you've never, not been sick enough. We got a call last week from that guy. Would you come to the hospital? I said, why, why, what, would he, what do you need? He said, I think I'm sick enough. You want me to come pray for him? And I did. And I prayed the same way I did last time. Just believe in God to heal. Here's the passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Everybody has to go through it. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with that temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It's not for you to get away from it because you have to bear it. It's not that it goes away at all. It's there's a way of escape that will make it to where you can make it through whatever temptation you're on. What's that called? It's prayer. It's to go out. And if you don't know what to say, say Jesus. If you don't know how to pray. It's to let your heart cry out to God. For Romans tells us in chapter number 8, the Spirit makes intercession for me. And when my heart only knows how to go, oh God, the Holy Spirit looks at my heart and goes, oh, I know exactly what your heart meant to say and carries it off to Jesus. I can bear the temptation. I can win. Seven years ago, real soon, before I came here, the first time I got word that my son was sick at school no biggie they get him to the hospital I'm at a conference meeting when I was a part of the state association as an executor I get a call and they said we're taking Andrew to the hospital I said okay I was headed that way Dr. Liverman who I call the vampire doctor you get a splinter in your finger, he draws blood. He just loves blood, I guess. He tells Andrew, with the other three people that are around him, he doesn't know why there's a, three doctors in the room now. The nurse was trying to get the blood out of his veins and couldn't get it. So they had to call the doctor who's also a surgeon to get it. The doctor said it could be mono, and Andrew went, uh-uh. Not mono, or I've been gypped. Andrew thought you had to kiss a girl to get mono. <laughs> he was so disappointed. By the time I get back from Durham to the hospital, Tony Liverman, who I know now, looks at me and says, how fast can you get to 1500 Manning Avenue? And my heart fell. I knew where that was. It was a child cancer ward at UNC. I said, I'll get him there faster than that helicopter will. First time in my life I ever willfully sped. I was in a Lincoln, and I put it to the wind. I ain't telling you how fast it registered. (laughs) 
Four weeks into this, they gave Andrew 11 days to live because his platelet count left the 150 to 300, which you have, 300,000, and went to three and a half million. He could take care platelets of everybody in this room. He was pushing pudding. And they said he's either going to have the stroke or he's going to have the heart attack. He's going to die. I didn't know how to pray for two weeks. I know how. The only prayer that came out was, God, I know you're right, but I hate this. Four weeks into it, every night I'm getting a dream. And the general, that's what I call him, tells me, if you'll lay this thing down, I'll let your boy live. Does he have that kind of power to be able to give my son leukemia? Maybe I'm not praying right and I'm not shielding him as a father like I should. What, what do I do? I remember in my dream, I'm looking and going, really? And he's promising me. It'll go away the next day if I quit. <laughs> I get fired from the church I'm at. I was trying to bring two churches together, trying to do it again. Do going to get fired. So my son's about to die. I'm about to get fired, and I show up here. My wife looks at me and says, you need to call him and tell him what's going on with you. I said, I can't. They can help me. I wasn't preaching revival that week. I was fighting for my life. And you guys carried me through that week. I would leave here and go to the hospital. The doctors would tell us of the miraculous things that were happening. They'd ask us on day number three, is he bleeding? Is he vomiting blood? Is it coming out? No, no. Well, we expected a seven and a half month drawdown, but he's lost a million platelets in two days. Okay. The revival would start, I'd come back here again. Andrew's still supposed to die soon. And I'm up here, I'm begging you guys to pray. I'm not preaching revival. I'm fighting for my faith. Because every night, the general's telling me, if you quit, I'll let him live. I remember leaving and my wife going, fight him, son, fight him. Send me on to go preach. You guys carried me. This morning, Andrew was taking my place preaching the gospel. I don't have to hear it yet. I'll hear it on the way home. What do you do when it gets dark? How do you handle it? Pray, and if you can't, surround yourself by people that will pray for you. Amen. And you can make that time of temptation because it's coming. No quick prayer is going to take care of it. No little, oh, God bless you, you'll be okay, it's going to work. You have to be on the side of the Lord and cry out for the one in the white robe that carries the very shovel of heaven, that answers the prayers of man, and speak to him, and you'll be able to make it. Let's stand to our feet.